This segment of Grape Encounters is presented by the incomparable wines of Cardella Winery, a favorite of everyone here at Grape Encounters. Purely delicious, purely amazing. Learn more at cardellawinery.com. On today's edition of Grape Encounters Radio, we will take you where no wine show has ever dared to go before. Here's a little taste of what's to come. I don't want to hear it. I want to have a personal experience with that wine. And to be honest, think of the most pleasurable thing you can do in your life. Would you want to describe it while you're doing it? All right, I'm not answering that. Okay, then you understood <laughs> the question right, correctly. I understood so, it. We're moving right off of that. Why okay. in the world would describing something increase the enjoyment of it? And if it doesn't increase the enjoyment of it, then it has no so use. So why is it important to uh, show off to other people? And now from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. It's time to enjoy an hour of the really good stuff on Grape Encounters Radio. Heck, we may even uncork a bottle or two of wine while we're at it. Here's David Wilson. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. Yes, indeed. Like the man said, it is time for your Grape Encounter of the Week. And, you know, in the early days of Grape Encounters, we had a guest who was on very frequently. And I don't think we would even have had a Grape Encounters were it not for people like Wes Hagen. He is my favorite wine guru. We've had him on recently, I think in the last maybe eight or nine months. But he used to be on practically every month. You are going to have so much fun with Wes today. I am going to have so much fun with Wes. We just had a beautiful meal, and now we're going to talk wine, and more specifically about what you really need to know about wine, wine education, how far you should go, which direction you should go in, and we're actually even going to taste a little bit of wine that Wes has just made. And Wes Hagen, welcome to Grape Encounters. Oh, it's good to be back in the seat. Thank you so much for having me, David. Why has it been so... You're so busy. That's I, what it is. I've been traveling quite a bit. My new brand where I'm the winemaker, Jay Wilkes Wines. Basically, we're already in you know 38 states and we're looking to try to get into more. Everywhere from going to the State Department for five world leaders where they serve Jay Wilkes Wines. I got to actually go to the State Department and got to meet John Kerry who signed the menu and said he liked the wine. Get going, out of here. Yeah, going to Biloxi, going to New Orleans, going to Texas, going to Oklahoma, going to you, Chattanooga, you Tennessee. You personally have been traveling that much. Oh yeah. I just got back from Chattanooga just a oh, couple weeks gosh. ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's been great. As a wine grower and as a guy who's in charge of a vineyard for 22 years, you don't really have much time to travel. You maybe get to France for a week or two during the dormancy period, you know, sometime between November and March. But I've never had this opportunity to travel around the country and to go to all the places that are normally considered flyover country. You don't know how wonderful Tulsa, Oklahoma is and how much that place is growing and how much passion is happening in these places that you really didn't know about. So how lucky I've been. You know, one of the things though, that kind of makes me crazy for myself is I, as you know, travel a lot as well with the show all over the world, but it's in and out. You know, you seldom get the opportunity when you go on these junkets to really immerse yourself in what's really going on in these towns and, you know, just to be a part of that culture because you're in one town and then you're out. It's kind of like being on a concert tour, I guess. But how lucky we are that the points of contact in these places are the people that are dealing with wine and it's a nexus. Like, 
like the wine industry knows a little bit about everything because when you put a bottle of wine on a table, it just becomes an investment to keep everybody at that table there for an extra hour. And in that extra hour, whether you're selling wine, having dinner with someone you love, or just maybe even being at a wine bar talking to people you never met in a town that you're just visiting, you get the most interesting things from people who love fine wine because generally it's the people who love to search for things, people that love the fine things in life, people who love to spend time talking and conversing. I've never met anyone who is a serious collector and sharer of wine that is not by nature an interesting and generous person. That is a very, very interesting and true point. There are not a lot of dull people who are wine aficionados. No, well, I used to be the Pinot Noir guy and I used to give you trouble all the time saying, you know, that you're a cab guy and I'm a Pinot guy. You like big, rich, ripe kind of in-your-face wines. I like a little bit more elegance and restraint. It's going to be really interesting later on in the show when I have you taste our first Jay Wilkes Cabernet Sauvignon from Paso Robles Highlands District because I think I finally made a wine that's going to drive you crazy. Really? And you are wandering into hostile territory. Oh, no. Everyone of here on the- you, Of course you are. You you know, you're a Pinot guy. Well, what I would say- What are you say, doing messing around with Cabernet grapes? You're right. But, you know, I will say this. Some of the greatest Cabernet Sauvignon made in the world is made by people who cut their teeth on Pinot Noir. Because if you can make Pinot Noir, you can do anything. If you're a chef that can you know, work there, with truffles there are some, and foie- There are definitely some Cabernet makers right now that want to wring your neck when you say that. Oh, show me a Pinot Noir maker that can't make cab. And then how many of those oh, are there? Oh, no, then, the phone lines are lighting up. <laughs> how many the cab makers can make Pinot? In. There are people pounding at the door. Wait, pitchforks and torches. Yeah, great. You know, the great thing about wine is there's no politically correct anything about it. You know, what we're looking at is a lifestyle and a beverage choice that by nature has to be subjective. There's no such thing as objectivity in wine. And I think we may even get to this when we start talking about sommeliers. One big problem I have with any organization that gives awards to become a sommelier or to give an award in the wine industry is you have to basically bow down to the way that they describe wine. Right. You know, if you want to use the word brilliant clarity, then you are on one side of the psalm table. And if you're going to say that it shows clarity, you're on another side. So the thing is, is got to be kind of careful with all of these various wine organizations in the world. Because if you totally buy into their protocol, you've also limited the way that you're going to see wine to the protocol that they want you to use. We are talking to Wes Hagen. He is the winemaker at Jay Wilkes, which is based out of Santa Maria, California. But one of the reasons that I have Wes here today is we're really going to dig deep into the subject of what you really should know about wine and what information, what body of knowledge is right for you. Yes. Because it depends on who you are and how you want to be involved with wine as to, you know, what kind of education certifications you should have. And really, you know, there may be a completely different body of knowledge that you should be going after depending upon who you are. That's right. Now, Wes has been a winemaker, what, now for 30 some odd years? No, no. 20. I mean, I've been a pro since 1996. So how long is that? That's exactly 20 years. Okay. 20 years is a long time. It's enough to know what I'm doing. And the difference between now and then is I know what I'm doing wrong before I do it. The thing that I find really amazing about you is just how far you've spread your wings because you've been involved in some of the most important intricacies of the wine world, one of which is authoring AVAs. Right. As far as I know, I'm the only American winemaker to have written, researched, and had approved three separate American viticultural areas, which are those defined areas that are approved by the federal government that say, if you grow grapes within these lines and 85% of the fruit comes from within that, you can say this wine's from Napa Valley. This wine's from the Santa Rita Hills. Simply put, when you're looking at a bottle of wine and it has a location on there, that is the AVA generally. Right. And an expectation. Are there there, there any exceptions to that? Yes. There is a county. You can say Santa Barbara County 
You can say San Luis Obispo County. Okay. And then you can also use the state. So if you take it from a large perspective down to a small perspective, the largest you can use is American. So if it says American on the label, that means the grapes could have been grown anywhere in the continental United States. Got it. Then you move down to the state, California. So if you see California on a bottle of wine, you know you're probably talking about generally price points between, you know, maybe five and 12 bucks, unless you're a Trader okay. Joe's or someplace. And then you can go from California or the state, go down to county level. And then you could also go down to a designation such as Central Coast, North Coast, South Coast, and all three of those places exist in California. And then all the way down to a intensely specific area, such as, you know, the Santa Rita Hills or Paso Robles Highlands District. And like I said, Anderson And they're, and they're chopping up these areas finer and finer all the time. Into sub-AVAs. Because I, there will be groups of winemakers and grape growers who feel that this one little tiny area is so important and is making more spectacular wines than other areas within the ABA. So they want to drill down. It is. But remember, spot. what you're drilling down into is a, an American wine culture. They may not be ready to accept what you're willing to offer. Well, that's a, that's a very good point and a lot of discussion about that. Well, one of the things that you and I are going to be doing is we're going to be at SOMCON yes. 2016 yeah. in San Diego. And we've been talking about them a bit on the show and been trying to promote this event because this is going to be the event to beat all events when it comes to immersing yourself in wine knowledge and surrounding yourself with people who are really world-class, right? I mean, these are some of the most important thinkers and spreaders of knowledge yes. in the entire wine universe. I just looked at the list. You know, I, I'm moderating way, yeah. a panel for the Santa Rita Hills talking about Pinot Noir and how it ages. And we're going back 11 vintages. And how um, easy it is to make cab once you've made Pinot. Exactly. I'll Wes, make sure right, I just hold on to the thought because we're going to take a quick break here. My guest is Wes Hagen. You know what? He is my go-to guy when it comes to wine knowledge. There is nobody that I think knows more than Wes. There are some people that I think know as much as Wes. And some of them are going to be at SOMCON. But uh, Wes is at Jay Wilkes. But he is really renowned as a wine educator as well. So glad to have you here, Wes. And we'll dive in and talk more about what's going on at SOMCON, why it's important to be a sommelier, or why it's not important to be when we return with Grape Encounters. Sounds good. Red or white, let me know. Hits of sea breeze on the nose. Toffee, melon, touch of smoke, autumn leaves, and some oak. To compliment your meal for real, the Roth child completes your meal. On your date, you can't wait to taste your cheese plate. The breeze is great, the blues first rain, screaming eagle. Oh, eight cabs all from 93. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue. Continue right after this. Because I am your sommelier. Got a bottle on the way. Let me help you find someone This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by SOMCON 2016, the ultimate educational and informational event for wine professionals and serious enthusiasts. Taking place November 16th through the 19th, in San Diego, California. Get more information at SomConUSA.com. Welcome back to America's number one wine radio show, Grape Encounters with David Wilson. And back 
with Grape Encounters Radio and the question of the day is, how much do you know about wine or is it really important for you to know that much or to know more? We're taking on this question because there are so many people that not only are educating people to a higher level than ever before who are just plain wine enthusiasts, but there are also more and more people that want to be recognized as wine experts. And I have with me today, Wes Hagen, who is not just the winemaker at Jay Wilkes, a great brand out of Santa Barbara County, a good friend, one of the most knowledgeable guys I know, but also somebody who is still working on his SOM certification. That's correct. So, you know, all these years, you've been making wine, you've been recognized as being a thought leader in the wine industry. Why has it taken you so long to go down this road? And why are you going down this road? I think for the longest time, my identity was linked so closely to Clopepe Vineyards, where I worked with my family, that I was the Clopepe guy. And I was really proud to say that. Now that I've done sort of a reset and gone to work at a great brand, like you were saying, Jay Wilkes, when I give people my business card, I'm no longer the same guy. So to a certain extent, when I give people my business card, I want them to look at it. And even if they don't know me, I want there to be some recognition of my commitment to understanding wine. If you know me, you know that I can talk about the history of wine. I can talk about the history of fermented beverages. My good friend, Dr. Patrick McGovern, wrote the book called Ancient Wine. So I love the idea that people that know me know that I know my stuff. What about the people who don't know me? People in Tulsa have never heard of Wes Hagen. You know, people in Manhattan, people in Boston, you know, people all over the country may not know who I am. So when I lay the card down, I would like them to see that I have committed myself to the understanding and and the research of wine just by seeing some letters on my business card. Okay, so there's an event coming up that you and I will both be at at SOMCON 2016 happening in San Diego. It's going on for a handful of days there. And at that event, and and I should say, the days are November 16th through the 19th. Yes. Okay. There are going to be some of the greatest minds in the wine world there. Just no question about it, right? No, there's none. And many of these people are master psalms and have been recognized as being extraordinary educators. And by the way, if you're a master sommelier, you are three times rarer than an astronaut. Isn't that amazing? For every master sommelier that has lived on this planet, three people have been in orbit in space. Wow. So I was just having a conversation with master sommelier uh, Ron Mumford in Las Vegas. And I said, okay, Ron, are there more astronauts? Are there more master psalms? He's like, I don't know. What's the answer? I said, I don't know. I just thought it would be a good trivia question. So I actually looked it up and go figure that it's three times as rare to be a master sommelier as it is to be an astronaut. So how amazing would it be to be an astronaut who is also a master psalm? I would say that that has never happened. I could probably say that with great emphasis. If there's any one person that I think someday is going into space, it's you. No, I get horrifically motion ill. Really? Yeah, I get terrible. I can't go on boats unless it's in a very... But there have been (laughs) plenty of times that you've been in alternate universes, right? I'm sure I would love (laughs) to make that count. But if it was a nice, smooth ride, you know, Richard Branson slash, you know, sort of, uh, I'm looking at you and waiting for you to make it a very, very comfortable ride. I don't do all that well when things are, are, are too bouncy. Did I ever tell you that I spent an afternoon and evening with Richard Branson at his house in London? Yeah, I've always thought he must be a pretty cool guy. One of the most good. cool, interesting guys. Yeah. He's a guy who could become a master psalm and an astronaut. Absolutely. Let's, we'll send him a note. Anyway, SOMCON coming up in San Diego, there yeah. is a great deal of interest in this event. And really, like I said, the people who are going to be there are just incredible. Just to be there and be a fly on the wall yes. would be the greatest experience you could possibly have if you're a wine enthusiast. Yes. Right? That's but, it. But to go to a lot of these talks and seminars and presentations that are going on there would just be unbelievable to have that many people with this kind of knowledge in one place. You know, and, and here uh, to me is the litmus test. Do you need 
sommelier certification? Do you need to go to an event like this to understand wine? Well, let's start with what is a somme because – Even better. You know, the sommeliers have been around forever, but it was only the upper class, I think, that even came into contact with a sommelier for most of modern times. But it's different now. And oddly, it's the younger people who seem to be going after the sommelier certification. And they don't really call themselves sommeliers anymore. They call themselves psalms. I think yeah. Is that in part because of the movie Psalm that came out? I think it's a number of things. I think number one is wine magazines used to be much more important than they are in a pre-internet world, the same way that sommeliers maybe were more necessary before uh, wine was of such a high quality. To a certain extent, a sommelier is a filter, a filter to get through the wines you don't want to the wine that you do want. So a great sommelier is a great listener. It's not someone who says, and this is kind of the idea of, of the New Yorker sommelier, please wait, you know, this, this wine needs to shed some heft, you know, that type of sort of snooty kind of thing. It's totally different now. Now what a psalm is meant to do is make a relationship, try to understand where the person's palate's coming from, and choose the best wine on the list for the least amount of money that's going to make that person happy in that restaurant. So it's a filter. The same way that the wine spectator and the wine enthusiast and Robert Parker used to steer us away from poorly made wines to better made wines, to a certain extent, I, I have to argue that those people may not be as important as they used to because now we have access to the internet, we have access to people who know wine, we have a connectivity that goes all around the world in 10 seconds, but it doesn't get us to table. It's very interesting because for the most part, when I have, at least in earlier years before I had this gig, when I came into contact with a sommelier, to me, it sort of implied that I was now about to have an experience that was going to cost me more money. Yeah, it He's going to try to try to upsell me into something that I maybe don't really want, is going to tell me why a wine is important to me or I should like it, even though I may not like it, but it's a classy wine all the same and I should entertain it. Yes. And to a certain extent, what a psalm is, is someone that should make the wine experience seamless because the restaurant's paying them to increase wine sales, to taste wines that come into the restaurant to see what's going to end up on the list or being placed either by the glass or by the bottle. But in the end, if that sommelier doesn't get you, to a certain extent, I look at, when I walk into a restaurant and it has a sommelier, uh, there's always two questions I ask to get the best service. Number one is first compliment the list. Say, wow, I was checking out your list. There's some really awesome selections there. Number two, you always ask them to guide you to value. I'm going to have the lasagna. It looks delicious. My wife is going to have the scallops and we would love to find a wine that would match with both. What do you think is the best value on the list? And don't be afraid to use the word value. They know you're looking for it. That is such a good point. That's it. Value. That's what they're there I'm for. I'm not here for the, don't ask for the least expensive wine. No. Ask for the best value. Three letters you should never forget if you love wine. What's QPR. That? QPR. Quality to price ratio. I've had wines that have awesome QPR at $2,000 dollars a bottle. And I've had wines that show amazing QPR at $5.99. Wow. Okay. So, okay. Hold on to that thought. We're going to take a quick break here talking to Wes Hagen, winemaker at Jay Wilkes, but so much more than that. You have so many things that you bring to the wine world. And you know, I would argue that while there may be people in Tulsa who don't know you, there are more people in the wine world that do know you than don't. And that's the highest compliment I think I can pay to you. Well, thank you. You're one, one of the most respected people in the business. Thanks. And we're talking about what you really need to know. Should you become a SOM? You know, should you find knowledge elsewhere? If you go to an event like SOMCON in San Diego, what kind of information is really going to do you the most good? We'll talk about that next when we return with Wes Hagen on Grape Encounters. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters radio Facebook group page. 
where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Drink Chianti at Arco Santi, but never Spumanti. Welcome back to America's number one wine radio show, Grape Encounters with David Wilson. Cork of Bordeaux in New York. From Calais, your palate will blossom on Broadway. You can trust us to find the right kind of wine, whether white, red, or boxed. We cater to whimsy, no reason to flimsy. Dial a sommelier. There's a lot of great things about my job, but maybe the very best is when one of the great winemakers on the planet comes in, sets down a bottle of something that he's never made before or she's never made before and says, uh, here, give this a sip. That's what I'm about to do. I've got Wes Hagen here from Jay Wilkes. Makes a mighty fine wine known for Pinot, but Wesley, you have wandered into uncharted waters for you. How lucky I am to be working for the Miller family, the family that owns Jay Wilkes who bought it from the estate of Jeff Wilkes, a friend of mine who died very tragically at the age yeah. of 56 in 2010. The Miller families own Bien Nacido vineyards in Santa Maria Valley. They own the Solomon Hills Vineyard in Santa Maria Valley, two of the greatest vineyards, if not the greatest vineyards within the Santa Maria Valley, and the flagship vineyards for a lot of Santa Barbara County, but also the famous French Camp Vineyard in Paso Robles. So that opens up so much more capability for me to make wonderful and interesting wines that I haven't had the opportunity All right, to. So t- talk about this Cabernet because it's a 2014. Honestly, I'm not had a sip of it, have I? No, you've been so good. So anyway, I'm going to take a sip now of this. And I, gosh, I'm actually a little scared because you've never served me up Cabernet. And no, you I'm know not. I'm a cab guy. I know. And, and we've got going. such a great winemaking team at Jay Wilkes. I mean, Clay Brock, who came out of Zacha Mesa, who came out and makes wines for Constellation, makes wines for so many wonderful brands. And then we just got our new blending winemaker who also works on our team, who's Richard Shelton. And you may recognize his name. He came out of Costa Brown. And now, you know, with All right. myself. I, I want to come over there and give you a great big kiss. Oh. Yeah, just this is delicious. Isn't it nice? I mean, yeah, it's got delicious. Just... It's, it's young, I will say that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it needs a little time in the bottle, I think. It's bright, it's fruity, it's dense, but it's not overwhelmingly overripe, so it doesn't have any like overtly right. pruny, porty, raisiny flavors. It's meant to be a Cabernet for people who like just a little bit of restraint in their wine, but don't want a wine where the winemaker actually held back. I want Cabernet to be effusive. I want it to be delicious and ripe just like this wine is, but I also want it to show just a little hint of restraint. I think this certainly tells the tale of a winemaker who has spent a lot of time in the Pinot world, you know, and that restraint that you're talking about, that sort of gentleness. And maybe a sommelier would tell you that once you get to a certain level of alcohol in a wine and a certain Mm -hmm. level of ripeness of a wine, you start losing a sense of place. Just like if you start taking a otherwise, you know, normal human being and start surgically altering them, their personality will become less and less important and what will be important is what the surgeon has done to their face or their body to keep our attention. Which is why you and I have not had any work done. No, that's right. Oh, no, because we are obviously the best looking people on radio that you've ever never seen. (laughs) No, but it's a beautiful thing to have a personality that you can go out and lead with that. But Cabernet also needs a body to it. So without going too far with the wine, I think we've chose a perfect level of ripeness. The wine approaches 15% alcohol. So a lot of people would say, well, that's way too high. It doesn't really take 
taste it though. No, it, Paso, it, it carries it very well. Paso does an amazing job of being able to make a wine like this, which is stylistically tuned to show the same kind of level of intensity that you would expect in the best, you know, Cabernet. So out of, out when, of when will this cab be at its prime? Totally depends. And this is another one of those Psalm issues. It totally depends on who is buying it and what they're using it for. Mm-hmm. Is it being used to drink as a cocktail? Is it being used with a steak? Is it going out and you're using it with so like some venison or some game? The more elegant the dish, the longer it can last. The more fruit and brightness you want, you want to drink it young. So it's sort of like uh, dating, I guess. The younger the wine. Where probably... are you going with this? Just listen. <laughs> okay. I'm not right. myself. Where is this going? And I'm not being sexist. Notice that I'm using no gender specific terminology. All right. So it could be boys or girls. All right. Where's this going? The younger they are, they're going to probably look better in a bathing suit. They're going to probably have better beauty, but they're going to suck at conversation. Okay. To allow a wine its proper conversation, to allow it to speak, the wine needs to do just like what a human being does. As we age, I'm speaking of myself, I have lost a little of the bloom of my youth, the bloom of the beauty that used to be me, and I have compensated with character and complexity. So if you just want beauty, you want a young wine. If you want true complexity and conversation, you need to show something almost un-American. I, 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 I didn't think you were going to pull that one off. I didn't, but I, you, I actually got in. That's pretty brilliant. I got in big trouble doing the same conversation at the University of Redlands where I graduated my undergrad. And I said something about a bathing suit. Like, it's going to look great in a bathing suit, but it's going to have no capacity. Yeah, you know, and everybody just naturally assumes you're talking about a bikini or something like that. And then they said, thinking about a guy in a Speedo, right? They called me sexist. I said, I'm No, I I wanted to call you sexist too. And then I thought, well, wait a second. He didn't say that. A man can't have a nice front and a nice back and be totally vapid in the middle. The producer has just walked in with a G string for this bottle of Jay Wilkes. (laughs) No, we're not putting that. No, get that out of here. We're not putting that on. Good thing we're in a bunker. Okay. So first of all, we were talking about you becoming a Psalm. Yes. Why that's important. And you explained what a Psalm is. Right. So, I mean, it's someone who professionally chooses wine for other people. I think that would be the easiest way to describe it. Then the question is why? Why? Now, there's two ways of looking at why. Why from the perspective from the Psalm and why do we need a Psalm? Okay. Now, why do I want to become a Psalm is because I want to increase my knowledge and learn things from different sources that I may not have experienced What do you think that you're going to learn that you don't already know? Terminology, technology, some ways of talking about stylistic affectation in wine, different types of oak. Now, here's the deal. So I basically walked into my second level WSET. There's two kinds of Psalm certification. Explain this everybody really gets it, okay? WSET, which is the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. And then there's the Court of Master Sommeliers. Right. So they're both British organizations. So you both have to play the British game. And the problem is both of them have very defined ways of looking at wine, evaluating wine, and writing about wine. If you are a master psalm, or if you get your level for WSET, you probably couldn't pass the master psalm because you don't know the way that they describe wines. It's a very prescriptive way of looking at wine. Because I have a very open-ended way of looking at wine, the way I look at wine is there's only three things that any human being needs to know about wine. Stick your nose in any given wine. If it smells good, put it in your mouth. If it tastes good, drink it. Go back to step one. That's all you need to know unless the only people that go you know, beyond you've that. You've always said that, and I'm not sure that I agree with that. And I've actually agreed with you on this point for years. But now I'm starting to wonder because the more wine I drink, the more I realize that sometimes it doesn't have it in the nose, but that taste may, be, but you got may surprise me. But you got through the nose to well, put I it in your mouth. I got through the nose, but sometimes the nose can be a little bit off-putting. Sure. So I don't know that that's true all the time. Doesn't mean you can't be brave. I, I think it's a general rule. Oh, okay. All right. I so, mean, a, a beautiful woman may w- at one point in her life have bad breath. Now you're getting sexist again. You're going to dump her because she's got bad breath? <laughs> 
Well, the point. No, but okay. All right. Then the other end of the psalm thing. Why do we need a psalm? If you've got a very natural, beautiful golf swing, you don't need a golf coach. If some people smell better than others, both literally and figuratively, some people can't really understand wine, so they need someone to help them along. Right. Those are the perfect candidates to use a sommelier to get to where you want to be. You may not have the time because you were spending it making money to understand wine, so you can hire someone to do it for you. So at your parties, you're serving the right wine. And let me argue from a different perspective, there is very little bad wine left in the, in the world. That's true too. And so the, from the perspective of the quality of wine that exists in the world today, I call it the golden age. I don't think we've ever been in a better place for buying and drinking and, and, and wine. And there's way more wine. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the question is, the reason we need a psalm in a, in a situation where a million wines are being produced in the world every year is we have to have someone to guide us to the best. And the reason we don't need a psalm is because if we are intrepid and make our own decisions, we're going to generally be rewarded with things that are delicious and balanced by nature of the economy of the world. No one can afford to make bad wine anymore. And I think there are so many wines in the world right now that if you've got any kind of a life where you've got a career that keeps you busy, you've got a family that keeps you busy, there is no way that you can stay on top of what's going on in the wine world. It would be the same as you trying to know every medication in the world so that you could be your own doctor. That's why Americans love points. Because if they walk by a shelf talker and it says 93 points, they know that someone who knows more than them thought it was a quality product. If they take it to a party and people go, why'd you bring this? Robert Parker gave a 93 points. So there's definitely no shame in Psalm. There is none. We went through a period in time where sommeliers were difficult. It was difficult, I think, for people to afford to have a sommelier on the floor at their restaurants that still are struggling to recover the amount of dining that we're seeing people do after the 2008 sort of recession. So now you look at it from a different perspective. Now we're starting to see more people being hired on in these type of markets as sommeliers. And I think having some type of certification like WSET or Court of Master Psalms, not only does it put a pin on your suit to make you look a little fancier when you're walking the floor, like this person is is truly a professional, but you also have the opportunity for that person to say, in my studies, in my understanding, part of the whole learning about being a psalm is to guide you. Got it. Okay. So what do you need to know? What's going to be right for you? My guest, Wes Hagen, he is the winemaker at Jay Wilkes. He's also one of the smartest guys that you will ever talk to in the wine business. And I mean that sincerely. He's going to be at SomCon along with me on Wednesday, November 16th through Friday, November 18th. Okay. And we'll talk more about that as well when we return with Great Bitten Counters Radio and Wes Hagen. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vincent Price. I think all of us like a touch of elegance in our lives now and then. I certainly do. I am, of course, talking about inviting a few friends for dinner and serving wines with every course. It's so easy and everyone enjoys it so much. You know, we Americans are basically a very friendly and formal people and somehow we feel embarrassed about doing things in a formal, magnificent way. And we shouldn't. Man, I hate to say it, but time flies when you're having fun. I never have more fun than when I'm with Wes Hagen. And, you, you know, what's nice, Wes, is you and I get to see each other professionally in a lot of different environments. In the winery, at 
competitions and here in the studio. And it's always fun. And we're always around wine. You know what? I I really, really appreciate your friendship and the fact that now for, what, eight years we've been doing this kind of stuff and it never gets old to me. It's fantastic. And as your audience grows, I want to grow with them and I want to help them understand wine because I'm a kind of guy, whether I have a Psalm certification or not, I go into a a restaurant, I can go into a wine shop or a a grocery store or package store, and I can figure out what I want to drink. And that's all I want to give to people. Not whether they can tell the difference between black cherry and Bing cherry. I don't care. And that's the thing I think people get really hung up on is they sit in a wine bar and somebody, whether it's the person behind the bar who works for the winery or whether it's somebody in a fine dining establishment that starts rattling off these characteristics in the wine and the consumer there, most of them don't necessarily identify with those descriptors. And as a matter of fact, sometimes those descriptors actually taint their impression of the wine because maybe they don't like black cherry. I don't want to hear it. I want to have a personal experience with that wine. And to be honest, think of the most pleasurable thing you can do in your life. Would you want to describe it while you're doing it? All right. I'm not answering that. Okay. Then you understood <laughs> the question right, correctly. I understood so, it. We're moving right off of that. Why okay. in the world would describing something increase the enjoyment of it? And if it doesn't increase the enjoyment of it, then it has no so use. So why is it important to, to uh, show off to other people, to show that you know uh, okay, more but about yeah, but wine it's, than but it's, but it's still different it's when you're talking about becoming a psalm, though. That is an integral part of that process is being able to identify these characteristics and being able to describe that wine. Why is it important in that context, but not necessarily as a consumer who's just enjoying wine? I only see one reason to understand what we call looking at the varietal descriptors or what we call esters. Like if a psalm came up to me and said, what do you really love? And I say, I love any wine that has a flavor of blackberry and cracked white pepper. Well, geez, he's taking me to the Northern Rhone. He's taking me to Gigondas. He's taking me wherever those flavor descriptors lead. Now that is actually useful. Now, if I love certain descriptors and put them in my wine notes, I start seeing a pattern and that pattern can help me find more wines that that fit that purpose. Okay. So I'm a consumer and I don't know anything about this. Okay. I don't have any descriptors in mind. I am now face-to-face with a psalm who's going to try to help me pick a bottle of wine to go with my dinner. What do I say to that person to not look stupid I think, and to get the point across? I think you go back to Confucius to admit ignorance is wise. And so what you would say is I'm a newbie and I'm having the steak and I've had a few wines that I've really loved. One of them has been here. Or if you have no frame of reference, I'm just getting into wine. I'd like you to bring me a wine that you think would be delicious with X dish on this menu. And I want to spend between 35 and $45. Bring me something this time that you think is a perfect classical match that almost everyone would find deliciously pairs with the dish. And then next time, I want you to freak me out. Okay. Okay. So be what does safe. That, what does that mean? Start, freak me out. Bring me Sauvignon Blanc with my steak. Yeah. Interesting. Bring me something that you think is a really cool match that break, traditionally break, would be. Break, break the rules if you need that's to. That's it. That's yeah, it. We're Americans. Exactly. Why did we leave Europe? Is because we were tired of certain regulations and a certain way of living over there. The last thing we need to do as Americans is kowtow down to an antiquated system of wine terminology that started in France. Uh, okay. So SOMCON going on in San Diego. I want to go back to that for a oh, second yeah. because at least in, to my knowledge, there's never been a greater ensemble of experts in one place teaching people. And this event is for people in the food and wine industry, but they also are careful to say for the serious wine enthusiast mm. as well. Sure. Somebody that might want to get into it in a more professional way. You've got people like Fred Dame there, who's oh, a master sommelier. You've got people like Michael Jordan, our mutual friend, who is is not just a master som, but also a certified wine educator. I think he's one of only like 14. And he also that, rips, yeah, he rips a reggae guitar and he's the short white Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't dribble. No, I've never seen him dribble. In 
fact, he's yeah, yeah, probably he, one of the best spitters in the world. Yeah, exactly. And there are just lots of people like this, people in the industry. If I go there and I'm interested in the food and wine business, what's the best way for me to immerse myself in that situation? And what should I be trying to get out of this? I think what you want to do whenever you go to a wine event like this is you want to break yourself out of your own little comfort zone. Maybe you've just been drinking Cabernet. Maybe you've just been drinking Merlot. Maybe you've just been drinking Pinot. Maybe you need to know what's going on currently in the world of sparkling wine. So the thing I would do is look at the seminars that you want to go to and then consider not going to those and going to seminars that you wouldn't normally go to Interesting. to okay. expand your own frame of reference about wine. It's very easy to get stuck in a rut and become a brand drinker, but I think it's a much more challenging and wonderful thing in a new kind of wine era such as we're entering right now that you challenge yourself and constantly try to prove yourself wrong. I think that's true of, of anything philosophically or even politically is to try to look at the other side and understand what's going on there. Yeah, well, let's not forget, though, there are going to be people there who are really legends. You know, one, one of them, your neighbor, Richard Sanford. Sure. And the contribution that he's made to the Pinot world, yep. you know, I, certainly. I'm, a, I'm a, getting to introduce him and moderate the panel on the Santa Rita Hills Pinot Noirs that we're doing. Frank Costini from the Hitching Post is going to be there. It's going to be a, yeah. just a rock star. A great Ken guy, Brown. Great guy, David Glancy, sure. who's a master sommelier from the San Francisco Wine School. Who's, who I just I just took my second level WSET just like a week so, ago. Uh, really quickly, because we're running out of time, yeah. you're on to your third level now, right? Yes, I'm taking my level three. And, and then about, it, I think what I'm going to do is level three is going to probably be the end for the WSET for me. I'm not going to go to the last advanced level four. I think what I'm going to do is go for my certified sommelier through the court of master sommeliers. So I'll be a level three WSET and a certified sommelier from the school. So let me ask you this question. If you went through all this, and this is very hypothetical, okay? sure. you went through all of this and were laying in bed after it was all over, you got certified level four and you said, you know, I really didn't learn that much. Wouldn't I, that feel wonderful to you? You know, I you know why I'm saying that, I, right? I, I took the level two practice test dry without doing any studying and like missed two. So I, I, I think I got 90 So that's a good feeling, right? To know that you went down a different road, but still learned it. This is back to SOMCON. Why would someone who's not a winemaker or a SOM go to SOMCON? Because the more time you spend with the people that know, osmotically, just by drinking with these people, you're going to absorb knowledge. It's so important. And I want to leave it with this because we're going to have to call it a day. When you go to an event like this, I think this is the most important thing to realize. These are generally incredibly down-to-earth people who are not judgmental. They spend their lives dealing with people who know nothing about wine, mm. and that's their comfort zone, talking to people who are not in the know and yep. sharing their knowledge with them. Hey, Wes, thanks for being here. And if anyone ever wants, the Cabernet is out on the website. We're at jwilks.com. It's delicious. You bet. And uh, if you ever happen to be in the Central Coast of California, obviously come to Grape Encounters Radio. The store here is fantastic. We also have a tasting room in Los Olivos on Grand Avenue. You can always send me an email, and if I'm in town, I will meet you at the tasting room, and we can taste together. And How wonderful is that? And if you're interested in SOMCON, it is SOMCONUSA.com. If you can't remember that, just go to the Grape Encounters website. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. We'll see you here next week. Same time, same channel, different bottle of wine. Oh,